0: I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five
1: mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is Robbie Robbie weekly.
2: Little first pass,
1: Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio in Dublin, joined in person by Mr. Andy Dunn. How are you, Andy?
2: I'm very well. Thank you, Gavin. Yeah.
1: Good. And we're
2: fresh. Yeah, fresh.
1: Uh, We're joined on the line by a doubtless fresh as well, Murray Kinsella in Japan. How are you, Murray?
0: Yeah, great. It's been a crazy day over here with cancelled matches, team namings, uh, all sorts going on. There's never a dull day in Japan and this one has been the least dull of all. It's it's been absolutely chaotic over here and it's set to rumble on for the next few days anyway.
1: Yeah, it's probably become the main talking point of the tournament, I'd suggest. So, talk us through it from your vantage point over there, Marie. Um, we all would have woken up woken up to the news. Yeah, woken up to the news that uh you know, we've got cancelled games on our hands all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, well, kind of last night, our time over here, you started seeing it in the English and French media. Obviously, the their links to those unions, those coaching setups... Um, and they were getting some sense that the games were in, in trouble. World Rugby had a press conference, it was 4am Irish time, where they basically announced that the France-England game is off. So France and England are both through the quarterfinals already. England top the pool, France are second. The New Zealand-Italy match in Pool B is off, so New Zealand go through as pool winners and, and South Africa are runners up there. And now, most pertinently for Ireland, the Scotland-Japan game on Sunday in Yokohama which could have implications for Ireland, depending on how they go against Samoa on Saturday. That's also in doubt, and um, we don't know what the status is going to be. the The World Rugby said say that they're going to do another investigation and an inspection on Sunday morning. Basically, the typhoon Hagibis—it's a super typhoon now. It is is going to be really powerful and strong, and it's going to hit uh, Yokohama on Saturday, Yokohama, Tokyo area. Um, and I think they're, what they're hoping is that the destruction it leaves behind isn't too great and that there's enough I guess infrastructural strength to go ahead and play the match now they're still saying it's either going to be played that day or cancelled altogether and in that case presuming that Ireland beats Samoa or at the very least get it one losing bonus point in that case and the match being cancelled on Sunday Scotland would go out of the tournament without having played they are already furious about this prospect they're They've uh, scheduled a press conference. Actually, Gregor Townsend just spoke to journalists there. He said, listen, World Rugby need to do everything they can to get this game played. Um, And the Scottish Rugby Union have been briefing journalists and coming out and letting people know that they're furious about it. So they're not going to go down without a fight if, if World Rugby do try to cancel it. There's a bit of talk about them potentially playing behind closed doors on Sunday because you would imagine... Like the morning and afternoon after a typhoon passing through, that the trains aren't going to be quite up and running yet, and that people are going to struggle to to get to a game. But I probably I probably agree with Scotland in this case. The other two games, yeah, maybe there wasn't much as as much riding on them. But this Scotland Japan game is is so decisive either way, um, and I think Ireland will hope it goes ahead as well because if if Scotland if Scotland and Japan are just awarded a draw well, then Japan go through as the pool winners as well. So there's a lot in it. And I do feel for, say, the Italians, Sergio Parise has just come out and blasted World Rugby. He said it's a a bit of a shambles, that there's no backup plan, that they don't get to play what probably would have been his last match, Leonardo Giraldini's last match, Alessandro Zani. And apparently those guys are really upset about the circumstances of their international careers potentially ending so there's a whole lot going on and there's a whole lot more ahead of us it's it's really a crazy situation
1: Yeah by all accounts Girlandini went through a few man- months of rehab purely to have that send off against the All Blacks and uh, that's been taken away from him now but can I ask you Murray what has changed from World Rugby's perspective when in the lead up to Ireland-Samoa when that fixture was under threat there was talk of conting- contingency plans I mean they literally had a statement saying that they had plans in place in the event that the game couldn't be played. Um, why is it the case that there aren't necessarily contingency plans for Japan, Scotland? And also, just from a logistical standpoint, could you maybe talk us through what would be involved in switching a fixture, be it to a Monday or even just moving venue?
0: Yeah, well, what 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 were the contingency plans? That is the kind of question on, on everyone's lip because it seems like the contingency, contingency plan was to pray and hope that there was no typhoon during the World Cup that would affect matches. Obviously what's changed is that the typhoon is now literally two days away from hitting Japan and the forecasts are generally far more accurate in this shorter time frame. It suggests that that Tokyo and Yokohama area are going to be blasted and, and already some of the trains are potentially being cancelled and just the cities themselves are starting to prepare for for what could be a, a, a crazy day. The videos you see of some of these typhoons passing through cities are, are really incredible reminders of how you just cannot take risks with this. And certainly that's, from from World Rugby's point of view, that's the the main focus. I guess in terms of changing venue, and that's what a lot of people are saying, why don't they just change the venue? Um, and I can understand that to a degree, but from, from World Rugby's point of view, They're basically saying that for them to change a venue would would mean putting both squads, so 31 players plus their what, 14, 15, even 20 members of staff, putting all the officials onto planes and trains, especially when potentially they're going to be closed down over the next couple of days, moving the what, up to a thousand people it it takes to run a game and a venue, the people letting, you know, getting the tickets off fans, people running the various services around the match, the the TV crews, the radio crews, all of those people moving en masse to another city at such short notice, they're saying is is not a really feasible thing to do. They're underlining that the teams who signed up to the participation agreement for this World Cup understood that uh, a natural event like this could, could occur in, in Japan, particularly during typhoon season. And I know people are questioning why you bring a World Cup here during typhoon season, and that is a pity because it's been such a good World Cup so far. And it's just a shame that that legacy, I guess, will will be slightly tarnished by games being cancelled for the first time. But they're saying it's just too difficult to, to change that up. Now, with the Scotland-Japan game, I think they will really do everything they can. And even if it's a short little trip out to a different pitch on Sunday that's maybe been less affected and even playing behind closed doors, I think they'll do everything they can to, to make that happen because otherwise the Scots, again, are just going to kick off. And I think everyone would really... I know people have a bit of... You know they're kind of gloating at Scotland potentially getting caught out, but I think everyone wants to see it happen. Yeah,
2: Andy, this is some turn of events, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Um, I I think having it, having it at, at a World Cup at a time when it's known for a typhoon season is probably the the biggest question in my mind because you know like it's a na- it is a natural disaster. It's not. It, you can see how Murray's describing the movement of people and transport and danger and, you know, life threatening situations, it's not, it's not as easy as it sounds to just turn around and just put it in a different venue, move everyone. So, um, probably just a planning ahead issue. Like, you know, we're not very good at that ourselves, the Irish, so and the Japanese have a far better infrastructure in terms of their transport than we do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just a pity. I, it, it's, it devalues the tournament. Um, you know, it's, a global scale and it it definitely, it's gonna, I think it's gonna affect the growth of the game and the popularity of the game. The World Cup is always a huge opportunity to for people to watch it who maybe won't normally and to see, you know, really significant international games that are dealing with qualification out of a group stage of a World Cup after four years prep and it's called, it's called off because of weather conditions. I know it's a natural disaster. It's just, the optics on it are awful, you know, from from an a international tournament, you know, a global tournament. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, I suppose, when you consider, as you
1: say, there, Andy, Ireland maybe doesn't have quite the infrastructure of Japan, and we did quite recently bid to host the World Cup, and we're told that we didn't have the infrastructure in place. And yes, we
2: don't have the extreme weather, I suppose, either, which is <laughs> probably a good thing. Two Lewis lines that don't link up—you'd <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get by, like yeah, you know. Yeah. But Murray, over the last, uh, over the course
1: of the last few years, would there, would there have been much? conversation around this now by all accounts it's kind of the tail end of typhoon season there and correct me if i'm wrong like it maybe isn't in the uh very middle of the time of year where you would expect something like this to happen but it was still surely a bit of a gamble that they would have been aware of from a long way out
0: yeah absolutely yeah september october is kind of the time where it 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 does affect and they definitely (laughs) would have discussed this and the risk big risk which they did mention before the tournament they said it was a risk going somewhere new they said it was going to be different which maybe they didn't mean in this sense they do like from World Rugby's point of view they have some insurance against events like this so the the financial damage of of two huge games really like England France is a massive draw the All Blacks playing any time in a World Cup is special it's a massive draw they lose money financially on this you think of like even the TV slots Prime Saturday slots now blank without rugby games and as Andy says that's Deeply damaging. Also, just the like for people who aren't convinced why rugby are, who maybe have a bit of anti rugby bias, this is just absolute prime material. They can dig into a, a, what what they can call a sham of a tournament because you're, you're cancelling two really big games and teams are going through without having played all their fixtures. So, yeah, there is that side of it. There's also the rugby side of it now, which is really interesting. So the All Blacks go into a quarter final. Having had a rest weekend, essentially, um, England and France in the same boat, Eddie Jones has been really quick to say, listen, I'm delighted we've been, you know, the, the typhoon God has delivered for us here. We're going to go away, we're going to have a few beers, a bit of beef, then we're going to get stuck into a really good training camp and be fresh and um, ready for a quarter final without picking up any extra injuries or red cards, etc. in our final pool game. Um, I mean you can look at it the other way you can say the All Blacks potentially could have used another game because Ro- Brodie Retallix only played 30 minutes Richie Moonga might have benefited from another game with, with Bowden Barrett but I think any international coach would take the weekend off the chance to regenerate as they call it refresh uh, and train really specifically for, for a quarter final so I think from that sense Ireland will be looking at you know now potentially playing the All Blacks and, and being really annoyed and frustrated by them having an even longer build up into it
2: I have a little stat in front of me here Murray if if the quarter finals pan out a certain way England versus Australia England would have had 14 days rest against Australia's mm-hmm. 8 if New Zealand play Ireland the All Blacks would have had 13 days rest against our 7 If Wales play France, Wales will have had seven days versus a French 14 day rest. And if Japan end up playing South Africa, Japanese will have had 15 days rest versus South African 12 days. So the the most obvious one there is that if we end up playing the All Blacks, they'll have an extra week on us as well and we've been a bit battered by the Simones physically and then go out and play the All Blacks. but. Suppose that's that's the way it looks like it's gonna happen. Yeah, we'll get the excuses mm. in
1: early, so. Yeah, get
2: that one in real early <laughs>
1: <laughs> It does damage the integrity of it though, really, doesn't it? Because as much as we're joking about an excuse, it is a legitimate caveat to any of those quarterfinal results. Like as the World Cup progresses and when this World Cup is remembered for however uh, for whichever way the results pan out there will be that little asterisk next to it that well yeah but they had an extra six or seven days rest on us you know
2: yeah it's yeah it's it's absolutely going to be part of it um yeah it's it like he's, it's it's kind of bringing it into disrepute a bit which is a big shame yeah mm. um joe schmidt has
1: named his team i wonder would he have named the same team if he had known uh, it was going to pan out in this manner where uh, we would possibly be looking at a quarterfinal with a very well-rested All Blacks outfit. I'm sure he would have. But uh, just to talk you guys through it at home, um, 12 changes. Jordan Armour is in at full back for Rob Carney. And Robbie Henshaw returns is another big talking point. Good to see him back. He's at outside centre, outside uh, his old sparring partner, Bundy Aki. And uh, I suppose the other interesting one, Murray, is Byrne at six. Peter Romani on the bench having started all three of the pool games so far.
0: Yeah, I am I guess Rhys Ruddock is the unlucky one, a guy who made a really good impact against Russia and a lot of us felt might have done enough to put his hand up to be at least involved in this game. He missed out on the 23 altogether, as you say. Um, Joe Schmidt mentioned during the press sir, that he was a little bit slow to pick up during the week, but from what I understand, he was fully injury-free and available and it's a pure selection decision. That shouldn't take away from the fact that it is exciting to see Tyg Byrne in an Ireland starting team, he offers maybe a little bit of a similar skill set to O'Mahony in terms of being a line-out threat um, being able to jackal. He's, he's got that mobility around the pitch as well, and he's got a real hunger as well. And, and he comes into this really strong team with a chance to impress before a quarter-final and, and tell Joe Schmidt, like you've got to pick me in that big game as well. The other one is, as you mentioned, Larmer at 15. Rob Carney did actually have a, a knock from the Russia game. He didn't train early on in the week. He only ran today. So he was kind of ruled out to an extent. But again, what an opportunity for Larmer to, to build on that lovely break he had laid on against Russia and and maybe just put in another question in, in Schmidt's mind. Although I would imagine Carney's experience would be leaned on for any quarterfinal. Um, Joe Schmidt said he's very excited to see Robbie Henshaw back in the Ireland team a guy who's a defensive leader we we talked about his qualities and it definitely does boost the, the squad as well as Carberry being back on the bench uh, after that kind of ankle worry so all in all it is a really strong Ireland team and that's the thing regardless of what happens on Sunday they can just make sure of everything with a, a bonus point win against Samoa. that guarantees them the quarter final they've been after it doesn't guarantee which opponent they'll face but that you know from from their point of view. Let's just take it out of other teams' hands. Let's get our bonus point win, and then sit back and wait and see what happens. They don't know when or where they'll be traveling to. They'll go to Tokyo next week if they're in a quarter final. But at least they can sit there on Sunday and, and watch if we have a match. Watch it, knowing they've already got a quarter final.
2: Andy, your thoughts on the team? Um, great to see Robbie Henshaw back. Who um, I suppose last time was a, was out for very significant period of time with the shoulder reconstruction, came back against the Scarlets and got man of the match and was so physical and so explosive. Um, it, was, it was quite a remarkable return that day, two years ago. Um, I don't think I've, I really can't remember seeing a guy come back into a starting team in a major um, quarterfinal, like a competitive game at the highest level and hit the ground running to that effect it was incredible so he's got history in terms of coming back in ready so it'd be brilliant to see him um hitting the ground running at an explosive level so really delighted to see him back in there um across the i, I think there's some really it's nice to see henderson and ryan in the second row and burn at six all three of them on the field together we've all been down to davin uh, wrote, you know, to death at this stage. And while he, you know, we extol the virtues of his his line out I think most people will accept that Henderson and Ryan, in terms of their across the field rugby playing ability, um, they're probably the two best second rows. And then you add in Byrne, who's a really nice hybrid and a brilliant rugby player across the ground, brilliant on the on the floor itself and stealing possession. Those three are quite a lethal combination to have in the middle of your uh, forward pack. Van der Fleer, uh, as an out-and-out seven. I think it's such a shame for Conan that he got the injury. I, I think he might have nipped in ahead of Stander for this game had he been available. Um, but I think there's, there's something, one thing that kind of stands out for me is that you see how well Reese Ruddock played the last day. And um, for example, I think you see John Klein on the bench. And I think that's, John Klein is on the bench because Porter's on the bench because if someone needs to come in and uh, substitute in for Furlong, it's going to be Porter, and he's a weaker scrummager, and therefore you need your scrummaging lock in John Klein to come in. So it kind of, a lot of it boils down to who you're picking as your tight head, because if you, if you, for example, if you John Ryan in there, I don't think he needs. A scrummaging specialist lock and John Klein behind him. He's perfectly capable of holding up the scrum on, in the tight outside. I think more, far more so than Andrew Porter is, which means you could put in Ruddock as well on the bench, who's probably been the foreign player. And you know, O'Mahony, while he's part of the leadership group, is not shooting the lights out. He's been indifferent in terms of form, a bit like Rory Best you know both parts of the leadership group but are are they beginning to flag in terms of their consistency of performance T- two three years ago they were hammering it every week they were playing top level rugby they're definitely not doing that now so yeah that that decision which i suppose is like uh it's all about combinations coaches have to consider things but to me it looks like a little bit of a a creak or, or a chink in our armor To if teams target furlong and he gets tired now I don't think the Smones are going to overly they're not renowned for being brilliant scrummagers but and you know an all blacks type side who might go and look at targeting furlong or something you bring on Porter and then he's not as strong as John Ryan and then you're compromised with another sub because are probably a better all round player than John Klein you know what I mean so there's a few knock on things remains to be to be seen how that pans out but overall um yeah, I think that little triumvirate in the middle of the pack looks looks hugely strong. Henderson, Ryan, and Byrne together, and then great to see Robbie back. Yeah, Murray, is it time to have
1: that conversation to which Andy alludes about Peter Romani? Um, we've obviously referred to it uh, even during the members' pods and this podcast as well. That as uh, as Andy says, he's not really um, lighting the fire necessarily, but uh, like, his, obviously is is placement on the bench for this game probably comes down more to the fact that he's just played so much rugby across the pool stages. Would you say that his position in the team is under threat even from Tyke Byrne if Tyke Byrne goes well at six this weekend?
0: Yeah, that's the challenge for Byrne is to, to, to put it under threat and that's the thing like I would say Peter O'Mani's position is under as much threat as say Rory Best or Johnny Sexton or, or Conor Murray. I, I think they're guys that... Joe Schmidt feels are definitely his first choice players, and particularly in a quarter final, even from an opposition point of view, I think they'd be worried about Ireland's mentality when they get into that quarter final, that knockout rugby, if they get in rather, um, and how they can approach that game and how they can manage that contest when the pressure there is really on. Um, I think Schmidt has a, a huge amount of faith in Peter Manny and his vice captaincy and his leadership, uh, his line at work. Um, and then his work rate around the pitch which sometimes isn't very glamorous but is important nonetheless. It's, it's a little bit different to Type Byrne in that sense. But yeah, I, t- I think it is. it would be great for Ireland if Byrne has an excellent game and if he puts that heat on. That's what every coach wants. They want the likes of Peter Manning to have that little bit of doubt in their mind because even if they are the, the first choice, they know that they have to train harder and, and play better because next guy in is, is, is ready to go. So that would be a really positive thing I think and that's across the board. Same with Larmer. Um same with the hookers whenever they get a chance when Rory Best's not there, which probably hasn't happened. I don't think anyone's really delivered that performance that says, okay, it's time to to make a change to our first choice team. So yeah, that's a that's a big part of this final game. But I'd very much man- imagine that Schmidt has his potential quarterfinal team penciled down anyway. Um one other thing we should mention is is Bondiaki, huge game for him. Um I was out at the Samoan team hotel earlier on, actually it was very enjoyable. They're they're so relaxed and having a bit of crack. Um and just talking about how they have nothing to lose in this game, they are probably in in some cases playing for contracts. Uh, uh, Philo Paolo was up at the press conference. He just got released by London Irish there recently, and he said, "Listen, I've got no contract. I'm I want to impress." They they said that they're going to play expansive rugby, open up. Importantly for them, Tim Nanai Williams is fit um, and he's ready to start a fullback after failing HA last week. Bondiaki was actually out for dinner with him last night, kind of underlining the links he has with this Samoan team is both his parents are obviously Samoan and he's got a really strong link and that that's his heritage so it's a big occasion for him regardless of him in the press conferences saying listen I'm going to just play this like any no- normal game they're going to be trying to smash him and he's going to be trying to smash them even more so than he usually does and, and that'll be a really fascinating part of it to watch I think there'll be a lot of contact down his channel he'll be looking to to leave shots on guys and um, it could make for a big spectacle you would just hope that everything stays legal um, and there's there's no injuries caused by that but certainly a big occasion for him
1: would you have gone to dinner with a member of the opposition during game week andy
2: um i yeah i would have because yeah sometimes you you know you know lads really well i mean i went uh, I think in my memory, yeah, I would have done it a couple of times. I remember Bob Casey over in London Irish, for example. Like we're good mates, we knew each other long before I was playing in Harlequins, and he was in London Irish. Um, and I'm pretty sure we had a couple of meetups the week of games. We we would have met up. We were living five minutes apart in London. So yeah, I think it's okay. You you can park your professionalism um, for friendship on occasion. <laughs> I had um, <laughs> I went I went a bit pale there um, when Murray just casually just went through the fact that the Samoans are so relaxed and they've nothing to lose. And then suddenly, okay, there's two or three of them playing for contracts. And you just start thinking of this scenario where really, actually, it's quite dangerous. I mean, they're not, there are cliches about all international sides. You know, the the Samoans are physical and hit hard and they're not disciplined. And if they get their discipline right and they don't get any cards and their scrum is solid and they don't, you know, have have an um, abject line out, Suddenly you're talking about a bit of parity around the field with guys really digging their heels in. And I, I had the pleasure of playing with a number of Simones, both in Ireland and and in the UK. But the one thing I found where, where they are battle Ireland is about it's about their livelihood because it's their family and, you know, they're so close to their family. It's not a rich country. There's an opportunity to earn big in Europe and they go hungry for that because, you know, they know they're going to. Ultimately, that's going to look after people at home, um, and there's, there's a huge loyalty to that to their family base and and a need. To that. So when you maybe if you just sprinkle in three or four guys who've got that level of you know guttural hunger for survival, and you start throwing that into the mix, I got it went a bit pale because <laughs> he just I said Jesus, I hope we're not in trouble. Like I don't think we are, but. Um, you know, if if we underperform and the weather's heavy, and suddenly the game is at a level playing field, you, you'll just hope. You know, you would look at our starting team and think we've got the experience and the nous to negotiate that. But there is a but that these guys have. Um, you know, they've got a lot of appetite. Yeah,
1: Murray, can you calm him down there a small bit uh, yeah, before yeah, I call an ambulance?
0: <laughs> well, Ireland have only lost to Samoa once. I think yeah. it was back in ninety five or ninety six. <laughs> ninety six. Yeah. They haven't played them a whole lot, but yeah. actually, funnily enough, the first the first ever game in Joe Schmidt's era was against Samoa. They beat them forty nine. I think back in in Dublin in twenty thirteen, um, Peter Manny scored the very first try. I think of the Sch- Joe Schmidt era. So, yeah, let's obviously hope it's not the last game of the Joe Schmidt era. Yeah. You, you mentioned the the discipline there. It was interesting. Actually, Steve Jackson was asked about that. Basically, you know why have you got so many yellow cards and suspensions and, and they're taking real issue with with that they they feel that there's been unfair treatment of them in comparison to other nations he, he said about the Ray Lilo hit you know he said oh we heard journalists were talking about that tackle potentially killing someone and he said well they obviously have no idea how to play the game those tackles our players were bent at the hips they were doing their best to, to stay low and the and Vaz Artemiev actually dipped at the end he said other people have got away with similar uh, tackles and and not been suspended or carded even he was he actually mentioned Joe Schmidt speaking up in a coaches meeting where Joe Schmidt said how many concussions are coming from people going low into the tackle so l- listen just in general he, he's frustrated with that area and the Samoans you know, basing it off his opinion, are frustrated that they've been penalized and pinged in that regard, and it it sounds like they're still going to go for those those powerful shots around the midriff, um, and they feel like they're doing their best to bring that physicality because that, that as Andy mentions, that is what they often bring, um, as well as the, they want to play expansive roby. That was the other other bit from there kind of pressing today they they want to play they said listen there's nothing to lose we're going to go out throw the ball around people like Tim Nani Williams are going to be creative um, and I guess that's the thing if they can if they can be accurate in the other areas of the game which is where you'd have the question marks can they handle the the grind of Ireland's set piece the tactical kicking of Sexton and, and Murray um, and then the the obvious physicality of Ireland's midfield for example which shouldn't be ignored either like Ireland have plenty of big boys well able to carry and tackle as well Ireland should certainly have more than enough if they lose this game or don't get that that win God it would be an even bigger shock than the, the the Japan game and I think there is confidence in the Ireland group because they've had a nice long build up into this one Rory Schmid, uh, Rory Best rather was talking about that and, and the fact that they feel they've had the first kind of normal week of this World Cup and um, they feel like they're very well prepared fit and healthy and, and hungry again to obviously get over the line and, and secure that quarter final so Really, it's not a game that they should be allowing the Samoans to get that that flood of momentum with with early tries, etc. They need to control uh, from the very off and get another one of those good starts, but this time follow it up with another good sixty. That was very
2: calm and reassuring from Ray down in Japan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking
1: of uh, a calming effect and reassurance, uh, curious to get your thoughts, Andy, on say some of the. Players' uh, significant others joining them over in Japan, and kind of, I think Kean and Healy was, or a few of the players were kind of surprised by the arrival of of uh, the, their partners, essentially, yeah. and how much of a boost that can provide when you've been away from home for yeah. so long. Yeah. And on the flip side, depends you, how much they like their partners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a fair point. <laughs> a boost for some, yeah. <laughs> maybe not so much for others. <laughs> uh, well,
2: let's assume everyone is in a wholesome position in the mm. relationship, then I'm, I'm sure it's a massive boost. Yeah, I mean, I worked in cricket quite a bit as a, as a physiotherapist and that is a sport where people are away. And um, the average professional cricketer is away from home and family for about 270 days a year in 365. And um, so much so that, you know, there's a very active um Kind of mental health project going on to help players who deal with stress or depression and just time away from family and quality time, young kids growing up, they're not seen. So, um, I've seen, I suppose, I've witnessed firsthand when family arrives down in India or Bangladesh, um, to, to an Irish or English cricketer and they haven't seen them in a long time, and it's quite emotional, and you see that. Uh, that get together in a hotel reception or whatever, and then they're off back living their life, even though it's a bit false and different to their domestic um, normality. But um, so I I can only imagine it's a big positive for lads. I mean, they've been they're they're kind of hauled out to Carton House for a huge amount of time prior to departure, then they're away again the age profile of most fellas is like, what, 23 to 35. So lots of guys in in that early parenthood stage as well. And they're missing kids and they're Skyping kids. And, you know, so I I think, um, yeah, it can only have a positive effect. Yeah.
1: On the flip side of it, like, for example, I know you would have worked with uh, Tony Brown, the heavyweight boxer, and Mm. in boxing, it would be a thing that you remove yourself from society to, an effect, to generate that hunger that maybe the Samoans might have that you were referring to earlier, where it is just purely guttural. And you think of that, like obviously the, the Rocky quote, like women weaken legs isn't not what I'm talking about here. It's yeah. more so just removing yourself from home comforts in yeah. order to kind of really generate a, a head of steam and, uh, and build b- momentum that way.
2: Yeah, I and I think there's arguments for both, and you've seen we've seen it with the English soccer team a couple of years ago in the World Cup, where the, one year they brought the wives and girlfriends, the following World Cup they didn't because they were lambasted over it because players were distracted. So I don't know if anyone's worked out the ideal recipe here. So I'd I would imagine it's about um, the coaching staff understanding the requirements of the individuals that they're dealing with. And, and, you know, they're not dealing with thousands. They're dealing with 20 to 30 lads who they know intimately well. Surely they can afford to sit down and and have rational conversations both with partners, wives, girlfriends and players alike. And just work out what's best for this group at this moment in time. I don't think you have to have a hard and fast rule for every group and every situation, Um, you know, the rocky, you know, up in the snow, Peaked Mountain versus Drago <laughs> in the uh, computerised lab, it always comes to mind. Jurgen Klopp spoke about that recently, um, where he said he made a one of the big managerial mistakes he made in his career was he tried to, he isolated his players. He talked about Rocky Four before a Dortmund in Munich clash and said look you, you've made sacrifices you're away from family we're going to train hard you're like Rocky Four he went on and on and on and he realised the blank faces in front of him none of the lads had ever even seen Rocky Four because they were all born <laughs> after it was made so you, you know you can't just make blind rules based on you know a squad and everyone adheres to it i think you've got to deal with the individuals in front of you and, and make a i suppose an intuitive call on it so i'd assume they've done that and i welcome it yeah mm, yeah it was one of the conversations going on in the members
1: whatsapp group last night members at the 42.e if you want to get involved there and we've got extra podcasts uh, pretty much every morning we've been putting murray through the mill uh, so murray what are you expecting from the game uh as you mentioned like it's important for Ireland to make a strong start and actually build upon that start and sustain that momentum. Um, if there were a couple of things that you were looking for specifically in how they might improve their play from the Russia game and from the previous pool games, what would they be?
0: Yeah, I think you look at the the things that Ireland pride themselves on and, and, the, and the things that their success have been based upon, n- not a huge amount is going to change, but if they can be more clinical when they're tw- in the 22, that's been an issue. They've made quite a lot of line breaks in these games, but then they've got into good situations and scoring chances and, and not converted them. That's been a, a bit of an issue. You'd like to see them apply a bit more pressure as well with their general kicking game. I know they've scored tries off, off kicks and that's been really encouraging, but some of the other kicking hasn't quite been consistent. And really that's the case a- across the board. There have there've been good moments in all aspects of their all aspects of their play, really, um, but then there have been those slips, the mental kind of slips, and and then compounding a mistake with a mistake. What you want to see is one of those controlling Ireland performances that suggest them in a quarter final is is still a, a realistic hope uh, of going going beyond that and, and doing a bit of history. Um, you know, they've they've had the good defensive performance, so again, building on that, they've had some nice stuff off set piece attack. So again, a little bit more of that that hand, I guess. And then being clever and and impactful with their carries. We saw Reese Roddick do it. We saw uh, Tyg Byrne do it against the Russians. I know the defence probably wasn't as strong as other teams, but they did bring a little bit more impact and a little bit more footwork and dynamism in terms of getting around the corner with good timing. So those little basic things are, are what I'll be looking out for and, and, and all those things can add up to a really vastly improved performance so that's certainly what they themselves as well will be targeting and and there's no reason given their long build up to this game that they can't deliver that.
1: Could you put it into context Andy how important it is just to take momentum into that quarterfinal to actually put together something something resembling a complete performance particularly if we're playing the All Blacks who have an extra
2: week of rest on us. Um, yeah I, I it's It's pretty huge to 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 start to get confidence back for the group, which sounds it sounds so odd to say that, you know, at a year on from I think their confidence must have been peaking at an all time high, but it's really I think it's definitely crash landed and they're trying to crawl their way back up in terms of confidence. You see. And there's no real swagger about the team. I I mean, I'm using wishy washy terms. We, You know, if we let's take out all the technical analysis of it and even just look at the body language and the psychology of the group and everything that's happened in the last six to eight weeks, it's not been ideal. There is criticism of performance levels, um, justifiably so, uh, you know, in, in lots of Games, you know, a lot of poor stuff in that Russian game, but we got through it. We did what we needed to do. But there was no element of a swagger in that group that, you know, we belong at the highest level. We belong in a quarter final and we're perfectly capable of taking on, a, you know, an all black side. So, however that pans out in the Samoan game, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a deep line break where we actually link up and score a wonder try, you know, one moment or two where we see. Um, just that confidence fill up in the group? And I mentioned going pale earlier, but seeing a bit of colour back in their cheeks, seeing a smile on their face in the middle of a game, it, it looks a bit like, uh, you know, there's a scene in Father's Head where there's a dent in the back of a car and, they you know, they say gently, we'll try and tap and fix around the dent. And they just, you know, they end up destroying the, the whole back of the car. And I think there's a little bit of that going on. They You know, they're not entirely broken, but they're very, very technical, they're very they they're granular in their analysis at times. And I wonder are they just tripping themselves up and getting too technical at times? Just take a few deep breaths. We're still players who won European Cups, Grand Slams, hundreds of caps between us, you know, take you know, get a bit meditative and relax and go out and play a really strong, confident game. So that's not there's not any one particular part I would pull out and say, I'd love to see it change. You obviously want a strong set piece. You want ha- reduction in handling areas. You want to see defence coming off the line. That's always a good barometer of the mood in a team. But overall, if, if we saw, you know, just that bump up and swagger and confidence, a bonus point win, and then go into the All Blacks again in, in a much more positive frame of mind, I think another hacker way there, underperforming, going into the All Blacks could be a little disastrous so I'd love to see that little swing yeah how do you actually expect it then to pan out Murray
0: yeah I expect Ireland to win pretty well in the end I expect that against Japan too so that's probably not a barometer of where people <laughs> should be uh, putting their money or anything um, yeah I, I just I, I think Ireland are a better team they're more cohesive the Samoans so far and I know they could deliver their, their best performance in the final game with very little pressure on them But but so far they haven't shown that they can compete with a team of Ireland's quality now, Ireland haven't been at the, their own best quality either. But I think they are are more than equipped to to cope with some of that physicality, some of those uh, attacking skills that Samoa certainly possess, but um probably don't possess the game management and and controlling factors that are so important in Test rugby. And with Ireland having so much to play for, I just think it'll it'll bring out a much improved collective performance. And yeah, I'd be shocked if they don't. Get at least that win um, but I do expect him to get that bonus point win yeah so you're
1: calling for a vast improvement Andy and the return of colour to cheeks uh, will we actually see that pan out at the weekend
2: um, I'm not sure that's why you know I suppose that's why I have a little concern just that the, the pattern of the last while doesn't doesn't fill one with a, any kind of sense of a guarantee that this group are going to just suddenly produce it we'd have we had a brilliant 30 odd minutes against Scotland, but that was a that's really a, a foundation. Um, the foundation parts of our game everything worked the scrum, the line out, the line speed, winning rooks, maintaining possession, grinding the opposition down the 22, scoring after three to four phases. Sometimes in previous championships, it took 15 to 20 phases, but everything worked in that first 30 minutes against Scotland. That that seems to get that group motoring nicely. And when that gets stopped, everything seems to falter. When when those that 30 minute performance against Scotland, whether it's excellent scrum and line out or winning those collisions, when that gets stopped, that's been our issue. We seem to suddenly falter and nearly jump off cliff at times. So, even in the absence of that 30 minute Scotland stuff where scrum, line out, set piece, rock, everything was really steady and then the team feel confident. Even in the absence of that, I'd love to see some confident moments of play. Um, and there hasn't been a huge amount of that, I don't think, you know, swashbuckling stuff, but I'm a, I can be a bit of a dreamer as well, you know, about these things. But I would love to see an Irish team, this Irish team pull off, you know, some beautiful tries, for example. You know two or three tries from deep, as opposed to two or three tries a cumulative amount of thirty five phases in the opposition twenty two and we you know there are other ways to score. And uh, it would be nice for the group confidence to to say, right, this isn't their only mechanism to breach the opposition line and would also help put a little bit of doubt in the All Blacks' mind. You know, maybe can we pull out a try like we did against the All Blacks in November with the switch play and Stocktail kicking over? Something like that, I think, would be really good for the group confidence.
1: Murray, if they are inhibiting themselves and torturing themselves with uh, granular analysis, as Andy suggests, may be the case, and we don't know, obviously, would It'd be the case then that the couple of days off they had over the, pre, uh, the past weekend could actually just offer the opportunity to hit the reset button a little bit, take a little bit of weight off the shoulders and essentially hit the ground running with something resembling a clean slate going into this Samoa game.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely the sense I get from being around them B- before this kind of break post-Russia match that sense wasn't great to be honest there was a lot of tension you could feel off people you know speaking off the record with a couple of people that was certainly the sense that there was just too much um, intense demand and, and people were getting on top of themselves and you could see that in games when people were making errors they were a bit more panicky maybe or or frustrated with themselves is probably a better way of describing it Um, whereas when you're at your best for so many players there's a fluidity to you there's an easiness to you and certainly in Fukuoka where they've really enjoyed themselves they had a brilliant weekend off which is so rare as we mentioned in a World Cup there is a lot more um, sense of positivity and fun about them even just leaving the team hotel they're a group of like 30 year old men playing frisbee in a in a lobby and having great crack and just enjoying themselves more, getting out and about in the city in the in the evenings and enjoying the food. And I think they've enjoyed the pace of life here as well. And it's it's a little bit less manic than say Yokohama or, or Tokyo or, or Chiba. So all 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 things in that regard point to a, a more positive environment and that definitely helps with with a performance at the end of the day. So yeah, you would hope from their point of view that they can transfer that happiness i guess and and less tension off the pitch into a performance that reflects that a couple of days off could
1: be all it takes andy what yeah. from your personal experience if you were getting a little
2: bit caught up in your own mind uh jittery oh, or panicking i couldn't <laughs> i that was my whole problem i just wanted days off and actually get switched on to actually being focused and running a rugby match so i'm definitely the wrong person for that. but um no, I, I, I think in any environment, and I suppose I've been in an environment as a player, an environment then at a coach, not at professional level, but at, at I suppose semi-professional level, and then I've been in the medical teams, uh, not in rugby but in cricket, and there's a there's some amount of intensity around these hotels and video analysis and time away from family and attention to detail and metrics and data. And it becomes quite sapping, I think, over time. So I'm always a fan of players, whether it's manufactured fun or you know, manufactured whatever, just get them off to Disney World or whatever they, they do. Get them outside of the bubble that they live inside. Um, you know, I used to even encourage us to go and read the paper, newspaper, like find out something that's going on in the world apart from yourself. <laughs> and and because everyone's asking them about them. Everyone's asking you know, it's all inward. Um, it lends itself to players being I suppose, very kind of, you know, uh, navel gazing at times when things aren't going well and just to get them out of their own environment and into something a bit fun, take their mind off it. It's always of value in professional sport, always. Spot on. Well,
1: gents, pleasure as always. Andy, thanks a million for coming in to join us. No problem. Murray, we'll let you go as well. Thanks a million for dialing in. Cheers, guys. Thanks a million and thanks a million to everybody at home a reminder that this podcast was brought to you by Volkswagen a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby have a good end to the week and enjoy what remains of the rugby over the course of the weekend Uh, we'll be back for members pods uh, between now and next Monday when we'll return with a regular pod Uh, but until then, take it easy
0: I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a
1: year. I wouldn't go. (laughs) Robbie, Robbie, weekly.
2: Little reverse pass. Magic. You're not alive live so you start kicking when
0: the real.